Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 5 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. And we will be covering verses 9 to 11 today. We are working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. Where we look through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see Him and what He is thinking, what He is believing, what He is seeing uh, in the world today. As we look through his eyes 2,000 years ago and see what he was seeing then. We get to take his view and import that into our society today and still look through his lens. That's my, that's my hope. That's the purpose of this series. Especially in a culture that is not looking through the lens of Christ. They are looking the opposite way. And we need to get focus back on Jesus, his ways, his commands, his teachings, his view. And so we're going to look at that today. The title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is keep living for heaven. Keep living for heaven. I heard of a story of a little boy who wanted $100 really badly. And so he prayed for two weeks, but nothing happened. The $100 didn't show up. Then he decided to write a letter to the Lord requesting the money. He sent it, yes, in the mail off to the post office. And when the post office authorities received the letter addressed to the Lord Jesus, they decided to send it to the president for some reason. They said, you know what? It's probably not going to get to heaven, so we'll just redirect it to the White House. The president was so impressed, touched, and amused that he instructed his secretary to send the little boy $10. $10 bill in the mail. The president thought this would appear to be a lot of money to the little boy. The little boy was delighted with the money when he opened the letter. He sat down to write a thank you note back to the Lord. He says, Dear Lord, thank you so very much for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you would send it back through Washington. And as usual, those jerks deducted 90%. Love, Tommy. Come on, little political joke. Come on, lighten up. Come on. So much chaos in this day and age. We need to just laugh a little and relax a little. We're going to get serious in the text as we always do. And I want us to still be finding joy and peace and rest in the Lord Jesus first. And I hope in one another. I hope Christians that we can and will strive together through all the chaos going on in our world, that we would be the group who would continue to love and serve each other. Jesus said this very clearly to his church, his disciples, his people. Are you ready? He said, you love one another, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this, all the world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Even if you disagree, we need to get back to loving one another. Um, If you haven't figured this out yet, I challenge you to get married. Because you will disagree with your spouse. And guess what you will still do? You'll love them. And we need to figure this out as human beings. We need to figure this out as Christians. We can disagree and keep loving one another. We need to lighten up. 
We need to be serious about the Lord. And then we need to be really light-footed when we tread on one another's territory. We need to learn how to love and serve each other in complete disagreement. Lord, give us grace in this. We are in Matthew chapter 5 in our Bibles. And again, we're working through this series, Jesus Worldview, with a message titled, Keep Living for Heaven. And I want to ask you this question today because we have a long road ahead of us, um, regardless of the elections. We have a long road ahead of us um, as a nation, as a world with all that's going on. And I want to ask you this question today. What causes a Christian to hold fast all the days of their life to God in the midst of all the trial? What holds a person to anchor through trial, tribulation, and persecution in life? As we look at 2020, I want to ask you what will hold you through? Some of you are struggling. Some of you are depressed. Some of you are stressed. Some are overwhelmed. What is going to hold you through the end of 2020 into 2021? What will hold you? What will establish you? What will keep you plowing forward? Even if there's darker storms ahead, how are you going to get through it? You can't just pull up our bootstraps and make something happen. What holds us is ultimately a long-term view, a very long-term view. It is the hope of heaven. It is keeping our eyes on eternity. It is keeping our eyes on the one who holds eternity, keeping ourselves living for heaven. It is the fact that we are banking on a great judge who will set all things right one day. I'm thankful that we're on his team. And he will set all things right, regardless of who's in power on earth. Guess what? Every leader on the planet will have to bow down to him one day and answer to him. And God will set all things right. And he will judge the heart and he will judge the motive. And nobody gets away. No one will be able to hide. No one will be able to run. And no one will be able to play games. No politicking with the Lord Jesus. No, no sleight of hand. He sees it all. Praise God. He is in control. Family, we are not to live as if there is no afterlife. We are to live for that afterlife. And we are not to live like there is no judge who's going to take care of all of this. We are to live as if he is going to take care of all of this. Our reward is there. Our reward is with him. And that's what causes us to live differently right now. Our God is there. In eternity, our God is there now watching over the earth and he knows all that's happening. And I rest in that today. No matter what goes wrong, no matter what happens, I rest in that today. We're going to read three verses together and then we're going to dive into the text. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 to 11. If you want to stand for the reading of God's word, you can do so right there in your home or wherever you're at. And we always stand. Um, to remember whose word we are reading and to honor him and to worship him. If you're standing in your heart, if you're standing in your mind, if you're standing in place, uh, let's bless the Lord and honor him as we read his word. Jesus, preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he said this in verse 9 to 11 of Matthew 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us to take heart and to remember that all of the great saints, all of the great Christians, all of the believers of the past were persecuted and were reviled and were attacked because they followed you and followed your ways. But Lord, we choose to, regardless of what the world does to us, be peacemakers. Lord, we choose to stand for you. Lord, we choose to stand with you and against the ways of the world. We ask, Lord, that you would give us your worldview, your ways, even as we open your word now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Our first beatitude today, we are closing the back end of the beatitudes today as we are working through the Sermon on the Mount. This word peacemaker, blessed are, happy are, the peacemakers, is made up of two words. It is the word in the Greek, or these two words in the Greek, arenapoinas. This word is only used one time in the whole New Testament. But this word derives from two root words. Um, it's airena, or peace, the state of tranquility. From rage and havoc of war, peace between individuals, harmony, them being together. And we have the word poieo. It is to do or to make uh, with the names of things made to produce, construct, to form, fashion, um, to cause something to happen. So a proper translation, peacemaker, would be this peace doer or the one to make peace. Jesus, again, is speaking to his disciples about the kingdom of God and what a true disciple of his looks like. Again, we don't live these things out to become Christians. We live these things out because we are Christians. The true child of God is a peacemaker, a peace doer, a harmony maker, a peace constructor. When we look at the context of this time, Jesus is speaking in, and the culture, this would be a radical statement made by Jesus, the Messiah. Remember who he is speaking to, a Jewish crowd who was oppressed by the Romans. The Messiah they were looking for was one who would bring war, not peace, one who would take over the political agenda and set things straight. They were looking for a Messiah who would lead them into battle and conquer their enemies. They wanted a conquering king, not a peacemaker. What they didn't know was he was both. Conquering king and peacemaker. Yes. But this was a shocking statement to even his own disciples. Remember when Jesus was crucified, the disciples were crushed and scared and scattered And even after three years with Jesus, they didn't get that he came to actually suffer and die so we could have peace with God. They thought he was going to establish his kingdom right then and there, and probably with force. So these are not words the disciples want to hear. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. He's like, uh, they're like, Lord, what? Peacemakers? 
I got sword, man. I'm ready to go take out the Romans. Let's go crush Caesar right now. You lead us into battle. We'll follow you. Let's be honest. These are words we probably don't want to hear. In our sinful flesh, we say we want peace, but our actions show otherwise in the way we deal with people. This peacemaker is blessed because they are children of God. Only children of God can and will be peacemakers. Without God, peace in your veins, in your heart, in your mind, without Him, it will never be there. You will never be able to be a peacemaker in this world. The world says we can bring peace to ourselves. The world says we can actually be peacemakers. And I want to say, no, you can't. Humans have been trying for thousands of years. And guess what? There is always another war on the horizon. Do you know why? There is one root issue in the human heart that must be dealt with. It's called sin. As long as we have sin in the world, we will not have peace in the world. I'm not saying we shouldn't work to be at peace with nations and work to be at peace with all people. Just because we know there is sin in the world, we should definitely do this and work at this. But for each person individually, the only way to become a peacemaker is to become a child of God. You need God's peace in your heart. You need sin to be dealt with and forgiven. You need the Holy Spirit to live in you and lead you to be a peacemaker. There is no other way. You need a new heart. You need a blood transfusion. You need a brain change in order to start becoming a real peacemaker with people on earth. And we see this in the world all over the place. People say, we want peace. We're going to be peaceful. We're going to do this. Love people. Take care of people. Love yourself. Then love others and all this. Guess what? They don't do it. They only love people that agree with them. That's not being a peacemaker. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You, God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The only person who gets perfect peace is the one who trusts in God and who keeps his mind stayed on God. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. And we need the peace of Jesus more than ever. If we want to be able to give peace to other people, we first have to be at peace with God. This is why the gospel is so important. Now in our city, in our families, in our marriages, in our nation, in our world, it is the only message that saves and actually brings peace to a person's heart. And again, you can't make peace truly with other people until you have peace in your own heart with God. It's a sin issue. That sin issue has got to be taken out and filled with the love of God, then you can have peace and be a true peacemaker. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. You're gonna, there's going to be all kinds of problems, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It's Jesus' peace that we need in order to be peacemakers with others. The whole world... If it was converted today, we would have true peace. Yeah. If the whole world bowed their heart to God and had peace with Him, then we would have peace with one another. 
But we will not have that scenario until we get to heaven, until God sets all things right. But until then, we are called to shine into this darkness in the world, and we are to shine the peace of God into this world. When people come in contact with a child of God, they should see and taste of the peace of God. Let me say that again. When people come in contact with a child of God, they should taste and see of the peace of God. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that the Spirit of God dwells in you, the fruit, the evidence that the Spirit of God is in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. This just, this just overflows out of the heart of a child of God. Point number one, if you're taking notes, let the peace of God Rule your hearts. Let the peace of God rule over your heart. So what is a true peacemaker? This is what it looks like. A peacemaker is not someone who keeps peace at any cost. Very important. Peacemaker is not someone who keeps peace at any cost. If I see a child being beat up in front of me, I will not keep the peace. I will disrupt the peace. If I see a person being mistreated, I will not keep the peace. A peacemaker does not mean an easygoing, laid-back, passive person. A person who is like that lacks sense of judgment and righteousness, which is important to the Lord. We are to stand against injustice and at the same time be peacemakers. Yes, there's a tension. For a person to simply avoid war, avoid confrontation, does not make them a peacemaker, a peace-doer. Avoiding issues does not bring forth peace or solution, or resolution. It must be dealt with and settled. And that is the heart of a peacemaker. They are able to settle settle an issue peacefully. There's odds. How do we settle this peacefully? A peacemaker has to be able to step in and bring peace to a chaotic situation. Clearly defined, this is not only someone who doesn't make trouble, but someone who goes out of their way to make peace. This is someone who actually desires peace in their heart. They do not desire to make problems all the time, but instead they have a burden to bring peace as God has brought peace to them. Is also a person who desires to see peace, again, between people, between nations. And the biggest peace that a peacemaker wants to see is peace between God and people. There are some issues that stop the human from being peaceful. It is thinking about self too much. Our own sinful desires get in the way of allowing and bringing peace in a situation. We want it our way. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Wow, that's not easy. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, To be a peacemaker, you must be, as it were, absolutely neutral, so that you can bring the two sides together. But you must not be sensitive. You must not be touchy. You must not be on the defensive. If you are, you will not be a very good peacemaker. Wow. What a word for our generation. We are a bit too sensitive. We are a bit too defensive often. We think it's always about us and we miss the point. I'm guilty of this as well. Thinking too much about self, not thinking from other perspectives. A lot of what stops us from being peacemakers in situation Again, is our view, 
ourselves, our selfishness, wanting things our way for our own gain. Let's identify these issues closely. Break down the two ideas. Number one, this is someone who, again, chooses not to make trouble because of their position. And number two, this is someone who goes out of their way to make peace with another person. Philippians 2.3, speaking about the Lord Jesus, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus had this mindset. Jesus thought this way. Jesus' worldview, the way that he saw things, the way that he saw people. Jesus thought this way. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Lower yourself. Lower your view. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but at the interests of others. Try to figure out what they're saying, where they're coming from, why they're thinking that way. We've got to stop thinking so much about ourselves and what we want. We've got to start understanding the other person first. Understand where they're coming from so that you can respond correctly. Oh, how we need this on social media today. Oh, we need this in our world today. No one wants to understand each other. Romans 12, 18, if possible, the Apostle Paul says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people as much as you can. You can disagree with somebody and still live peaceably. Did you know that? It's called being married. I said it earlier. It's called loving people in your family, with your friends, and disagreeing with them on things. You know what? That's okay. We can disagree and we're going to still choose to love and serve each other. Romans 5.1. You know who loved us when we fully disagreed with him? God. The Lord Jesus loved us when we were enemies. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For we were still weak while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we disagreed with God, Christ died for us. While we were not with God, he died for us. He laid it all down when we were his enemy so that we could have peace. He is the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus is the peacemaker. God is a God of peace. And we were completely blatant enemies. Not loving God. Not doing it His way. Not agreeing with Him. Not aligning with His opinion or His view. And He could have been passive and done nothing about it. Or He could have been aggressive and like, get out of here. But God in His grace stepped in. Into the scene of war. Between God and man, sin in the middle, and Jesus the peacemaker made peace for us with God through the cross so that we could go free and walk into the throne room of God and not be on edge. Can you imagine walking into the throne room of the King of Kings when you are his enemy? Forget that. You're not getting into the throne room. You'd be killed before you even step foot. But because of Christ, 
we have peace with our God, with our Father, and we can walk in. And we were once enemies, and He accepts us. He loves us, and He serves us. Jesus lowered Himself to make all of this relationship work. What a word for us today. Maybe we need to lower ourselves to make that relationship work. I don't agree with them. That's okay. Jesus didn't agree with you. And he lowered himself completely to make things right for you. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People aren't willing to listen to you until they know that you love them. And I'm telling you, if you want to win people long term and you want to have more peace in relationships in life, you've got to start to learn to love people who are your enemies. Jesus did. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, he told us. We've got to learn how to do this. Are you going to be at peace with all people? No. It's impossible. But you, as much as is possible, the Apostle Paul said, so far as it depends on you, you live peaceably with all people. We've got to figure this out. I'll never forget one of the pastors at Harvest. I was over at his house. We just finished surfing. And uh, we were there at his house hanging out. And all of a sudden... Um, I look out the window and I see these gangsters across the street and they're kind of like sitting in their front yard and there's this dude walking down the street with his, uh, I don't know what he was doing. He had a bag or something. He's walking down the street in the middle of the street. And of course they start looking at each other and making eyes and all this stuff and mad dogging each other. And before you know it, the guy puts down his bag and turns around and goes like this um, to the group of gangsters. And these guys get up and come over and start standing in the middle of the street and all of a sudden they start having words. And I'm like, Mike, Mike, it's about to go down uh, out in the, the street, in the middle of the street, right in front of your house. He's like, what? He's like, nope, not on my street. And Pastor Mike bolts out the door and goes and stands in the middle of this gangster and this other guy and gets in their face and he says, hey, not on my street. Get walking. This isn't going to happen right now. Keep walking. You guys are not fighting on this street. Get walking. And guess what happened? The guy turns around, picks up his bag, and starts walking. And the gang guys all of a sudden go back over there to the car, and they sit there. And he somehow makes peace in the middle of a war that was about to take off in the middle of the street. I couldn't believe it. I'm like looking through the blinds of the windows watching this all happen. But I'll never forget it because really that could have been that could have been very bad. Somebody could have got stabbed or beat up really bad and left there on the street. An ambulance would have been in the whole the cops and the whole thing, but someone chose to step in and make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Sons and daughters of God are peacemakers. We step in the middle of it and say, hey guys, come on, not today. We're going to love and serve each other. Oh, Christian, would you stop being passive? 
get in the game and start to navigate and be a peacemaker in this war. You have giftings that I don't have. I got giftings that you don't have. Let's figure out how to do it. We're not perfect at this, but we need to get our hands dirty, get in there and start doing this. What if Mike did nothing? What if he just let that fight break out? And what if somebody ends up dying right there on the street? We would have regretted that, that we did nothing. There are a lot of casualties right now during the politics and all the things that are happening in this world. And we need to step in and start to become peacemakers, not be passive, but to step in and to settle war, settle these things, bring in the love of Christ, bring a new perspective, the love of God during this chaotic time. Keep your views. That's fine. You can have all of them. Jesus kept all of his views intact and it was completely different than the enemies of God. Yet he's kept them all intact, laid down his life for them and won them over. What a lesson for us. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let me say that again. So important. Let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Family, intervene and bring the peace that God has brought to you. Intervene and bring the peace that God has brought to you. Marriages, don't be passive and act like there isn't an issue. Deal with it. Bring peace. Intervene. Brothers, husbands, get up and go love and serve your wife. Go ask for forgiveness. Go make things right. Yeah, I'm instructing you. What do I got to do it? Because you are the head of the home as Christ is the head of the church. Yep, God appointed you uh, to be leading the family. And so you get to lead in repentance, lead in forgiveness, lead in grace. They don't deserve it. Show them grace as God has showed you. Lord, help us. Can we do this in our workplace? Well, they've been this way to me. So what? Bring peace. Intervene. Bring the peace that God has brought to you in this city of LA. Oh man, the tensions are growing here in this city. Can we be peacemakers? Can we start smiling at people a bit more? Can we go in and be nice to the cash register? Can we just love and serve people everywhere that we go and start shining brightly? As it gets darker, we can shine so much brighter. We have a lot more opportunity. Let the peace of God rule your hearts, family. Only children of God can be peacemakers and need to be brought into the family, given a new heart and a new mind to be peacemakers. Maybe God needs to do that in you again today. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let's look at the second half of our text. Our next beatitude, or two beatitudes here, they kind of like fuse together. The last verses here are kind of all one thought. And so take a look, verse 10 and 11. Blessed are those, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus is describing the Christian, the one who follows him, the one who is committed to him will be persecuted, reviled, accused of evil. Yeah, it's going to happen. People will not like Christians just as they did not like the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so they murdered him. 
And it's happening in LA today. I was really shocked to see this happen, and maybe a lot of you saw it, but uh, Chris Pratt, the actor, being attacked because he didn't side with a political group. And I kind of went to his um, face uh, Instagram and uh, saw one of the posts he did just a couple weeks ago, and it's really cool. He actually posted some scripture um, as the whole post, and he's just basically saying that he stands with Christ. And I was shocked to see the world kind of attack this guy. I mean, he is the Parks and Rec guy. I mean, he is kind of the nice guy um, who's just trying to love and serve everybody. Everybody has nothing but good things to say about him. And just the way he treats people and the way he acts in the industry and all of the rest, he professes to be a Christian and a follower of Christ. And um, they call him out um, because he hasn't said anything. The cancel culture trying to take him down. It's been really cool to see people stand up and defend him, but he still just hasn't responded. He's just kind of like, you know what? Um, I'm going to keep worshiping, keep doing my thing, and everybody can attack and do whatever. And and again, I'm hoping that Chris Pratt is a true Christian and really does love the Lord and is going to stand up for the Lord Jesus and to walk with him through this all and not crumble under these things. But this is what the world's going to do. We should expect these things. It doesn't matter how small of your position in the world or how great of your position in the world. If you stand for Christ, if you stand for what is good and what is righteous, you're standing against the whole world. And they are going to find out. And they will attack you. You're going to have to try to hide Christ in your life to maintain status in the world. And you know what? Who cares? If the big boss... The Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords is with you and all of these other bosses of the world are not. Who cares? You've got the Lord and he is going to carry you through to the very end. I would much rather have favor with God than favor with men. I don't care. It's okay. And sometimes you have to lose a couple relationships and people get mad at you and all this stuff has to happen in life for you to wake up and realize that the status of people doesn't really matter. It doesn't bring you happiness anyways once you get it. A Christian is not someone who is slightly different from everyone else because they go to church. A Christian is a person who follows Christ and lives out his teachings. A Christian is someone who has been resurrected to life and can no longer live in sin against God. They have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, convicting them to walk with their God. And I'm telling you, there is such a stark difference in the way that we live and the way that the world lives. You can't hide. A Christian's life is naturally offensive to the ways of the world. Think about it. If you are trying to live a holy life under the the Lord and the whole world around you is not, what are they going to think of you when they find out or when you won't play along with their sin? Like, no, I'm sorry, I, I I don't agree with that. Oh, come on, Josh, you're such a nice guy, man. You're I really like you as a person. Are you seriously gonna like stand with that? Yeah. How can I not? I stand with Jesus. I stand with his view, I stand with him as Lord. How can I deny him in his teachings? I can't do that. I'm not going to play along with your sin. I'm sorry. Will I be able to love and serve them and try to be a peacemaker through it all? Yes. But in the end, if someone is asking me to go run a life or follow into a life of sin, I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. I'm not going with you into that. Jesus was the friend of sinners, yet never walked in sin. 
And if someone asked Jesus to go into sin with them, he would say no. If Jesus was asked to be the friend of a sinner, he would say yes. But he would not follow in their ways. That's the difference. We can have friendships with people, but we are not to walk in their ways. We are to walk in the ways of the Lord, not in the ways of the world. And that's where the line is drawn. And so, hey, I'll be friends with lots of people and all this, but as soon as they ask me to go there, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. I follow God. I'm not going to do that. You can go there if you want to. I'll be here when you get back, but I'm not going to do that. Well, that's offensive. Yes, it is. And I don't have a problem with that. Jesus offended so many people so much that they killed him. Jesus did not play along with their religious games. He didn't play along with their sinful ways. He was the nicest guy to ever walk the earth, and they hated him for it. They hated him for his righteousness. What do you think they will do to his people? We will be rejected and snubbed on the earth. Yep. This isn't our home. Heaven is. We are just passing through. Love this quote. Samuel Rutherford said, If you were not strangers here... On earth, the hounds of the world would not bark at you. If you were not strangers here, the hounds of the world would not bark at you. Vance Havner said, Let a man really dare to be a New Testament Christian and take Christ seriously, beginning Monday morning, and he will wake up to the fact that he is a sheep amongst wolves. Yep. I dare you to start really living out the commands of Christ, what Jesus says in his New Testament, and you will figure out very, very quickly that you are not one of them. You're an outsider. You are uh, being a Christian, and you are an outsider of the ways of the world. Remember, we are not being persecuted for our sake or for being stupid or weird or annoying sake, but for righteousness sake. On my account, Jesus says in verse 11. So if you're being persecuted for being an idiot, that's not for Christian. I mean, that's not for Christians or for Christ's sake. Um, it's not on his account. You're an idiot. That's all there is to it. Stop being an idiot and uh, you'll stop being attacked by people. But if it is for truly being a peacemaker and living for God's glory, um, if you're being a jerk, if you're being rude, um, if you're just obnoxious and uh, you're just mean to people, um, you should be persecuted for those things. You're an idiot. Stop doing those things. Um, if you're doing it for living for Christ and walking in his ways and trying to stand in his uh, view, what can you do? There's nothing else you can do. But what is ultimately holding us? What is keeping us from retaliating right now? What is stopping us from feeling resentment, but letting things go? What is stopping us from being depressed over our persecution? The whole world's against us. Yes, they are. But what keeps us hoping? All of that is answered in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in good company if you're persecuted like Jesus the prophets, the apostles, the New Testament church. We don't need to attack others when we are being rewarded in heaven for living godly. We don't need to dwell on sin and have resentment when our reward is in heaven. We don't need to be depressed over the way we are treated here on earth because we are foreigners in another land. 
They persecuted Jesus, the prophets, and now us, but our reward and our final destination is in heaven. Benjamin E. Fernando said this, Persecution is one of the surest signs of a genuine Christian. Persecution is the sign. You want to know if someone's a true Christian? They're probably getting persecuted or getting set back or someone's not giving them favor because their views, because of they follow the Lord Jesus. The gospel has changed us so much as we look at the way God has loved and served, forgiven and been gracious to us. It moves us to do the same for others. We can't help it, even those who persecute us. We're called to. We're not living for this life, but the next. Sure, if you're Life and treasure is being poured into this earth. You will be crushed when it's all taken from you. But when you realize all your reward is in heaven, all your blessing is in heaven, you think and live differently. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm content in Him alone. Everything else on this earth is just a bonus. Jesus commands and says, that Christians rejoice and be glad when persecution strikes because our reward is with Him. Three things as we close. Number one, we are counted worthy to suffer. When we are living for for heaven, when we are living for eternity, we are count ourselves worthy to suffer for Him. Acts 5.40, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. The apostles who were beaten, it says, verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They get thrown in jail and beaten for preaching Jesus. And what do they do? They start rejoicing. Thank you, Lord. We can't even believe we're counted worthy to suffer with you for doing the right thing. Now let's go back to preaching and teaching. Benjamin Fernando again says, crushing the church is like smashing an atom. Divine energy of high quality is released in enormous quantity and with miraculous effects. A bomb goes off. You crush the Christians and a bomb will go off into society. A bomb of love and grace and mercy and the spread of righteousness and the gospel. Be careful when you persecute Christians because great things, beautiful things might start to happen. 1 Peter 4, 14, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Point number two, Rewards in heaven come to those who keep their eyes on heaven and live for him. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10 to 15 talks about our reward in heaven. And it says that as we have been given salvation, first by the Lord Jesus, our works in life, good and bad, will be tested in eternity. And it's like building a house in heaven, in eternity. And when you build your house, you can use different elements. You can use wood, hay, and stubble, or you can use gold, silver, and precious gems. The wood, hay, and stubble are the bad works that we do in life. The gold, silver, and precious jewels are the good things we do for God's glory. You can build your house with either thing, your good works or your bad works. But once it's built and it's brought to heaven, we are told here, 
that fire will be put to it. The test of fire, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day of the Lord will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It says that the one who does good works unto God's glory, yes, the one who who suffers for Christ's sake, the one who lives for Him regardless of what the world is doing, the one who gives Him the glory and celebrates Him all the days of their life, there will be some type of reward in heaven. It is like the Bema Seat Judgment. This is a seat judgment which would take place at the Olympics where they would give out rewards for those who ran and finished and won. So too, there will be a reward ceremony in heaven of some type. I don't know how it works exactly, but rewards will be given out in heaven to which we will obviously give back to the Lord because he did the work in us. But there will be some type of reward system. It also says that some can suffer loss in heaven. I don't know how that works. If anyone's work is burned up, verse 15, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It's almost like that person just barely made it into heaven and there's still smoke on their clothes because they were so close to hell. The person who gets saved but really does nothing with their life just absolutely wastes it on the world. How can that person even make it into heaven by God's grace alone? What will all rewards be? We don't know. But there is a parable where Jesus talks about the rewards in heaven in Luke 19. And it says in verse 17, he said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second one came and he said, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. The Lord, the picture of the parable And those being faithful with what they have been given are given authority to rule over cities in eternity. I don't know if that's exactly what will happen, but it is a picture potentially of what will happen. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable reward. We are living for reward. We're living for the reward of eternity, to be with God. And so we need to keep that in mind. Why am I doing this on earth? Why am I giving up the ways of the world? Why am I running this race to win for God's glory? Because ultimately, our reward is not here on earth. The world is running to win here on earth with fame and money and status and riches and all of the rest. But we are running not to win here on earth, but to win in eternity. And so the world is going to hate us. They're not going to love us here on earth, but this is not our home. We need to remember this. Very, very important. Point three and finally, living for heaven, persecution produces reward. Verse 12, again, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven because you have been persecuted. Romans 5 verse 3 says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, persecution produces something in us. Suffering produces something in us. It's not a bad thing to suffer. I know people hate to suffer. I I don't like to suffer, but it actually produces reward in us. And you can't get those rewards unless you go through suffering, unless you go through hard times. And we're going to. It's going to happen. But we need not be scared of them. We need not be in fear, for we are not living for this world. We're living for the next. We are not living for gods and people on this earth. We're living for our God in eternity. We are living for our relationship with Jesus. We are living for a home in heaven. And that's important to remember. It doesn't mean we just throw away marriage. We throw away family. We throw away our relationships. We throw away this world. No, we don't do that. We live within it. And we live for God's glory within it. And we can actually find peace and joy and happiness in the midst of our relationships. Though the world is rejecting us, we can still have beauty for ashes in the middle of all this chaos. It's found in a relationship with God. It's found in seeing the persecution through his eyes. It's found through seeing the suffering through his eyes. What is he producing? What is he doing right now on earth in your life? And what is he doing ultimately in heaven in your reward? Remember that we are living for heaven. Jack Dane said this, it is the suffering church that is the growing church. Persecution produces reward. Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The suffering of this day and age is nothing in comparison to what we will have when we see the Lord Jesus. We suffer for his sake. That's fine. Because this life is short and it will be over soon. Not to scare you, but to cause us to remember. Cherish what you have here on earth. Live for God's glory. Live with purpose. Live for God. A.W. Tozer said, The fire of God cannot be put out by the waters of man's persecution. Yes, the war waged on us on earth can never be put out by man. We have the fire of God within us, and he will keep that fire flame ablaze until we get to heaven. Praise God. Family, our reward is in heaven. It's with God. And I should say this, our reward is God. It's not on the earth. Our treasure is him. Yes, we may rule over kingdoms and have jobs to do in heaven. That's great. But ultimately, our treasure is him. That is what is exciting. Our reward is having him. And watch this. We have him right now. Heaven has already begun. We have him now. Why would our reward be God? Because he is the one who is good. He is the one who is pure. He is the one who is peace. He is the one who is patience. He is the one who is happiness. He is the one who is all things good. And when we see him, we will experience the greatest, purest goodness we have ever experienced in all of our lives. Oh, how we want that. Oh, we want all this sin and destruction to be done away with and just to have peace and rest with God for eternity. I'm looking forward to that too. We get glimpses of that now as we deepen our relationship with God, as we are content in Him. He is going to use you, family. Here on earth, everywhere that you go, He wants to shine brightly through you to bring peace 
to the people around you. He wants to use you to shine righteousness in the midst of persecution, to shatter the darkness, to bring love like only God can. Family, I want to encourage you as we close to keep living for heaven. This earth is not our home. We are just passing through. Don't get so tangled up in it. Don't do it. Don't let your mind be overtaken by it. Don't let your heart be overtaken by it. Remember where we are going. Our reward is in heaven. Our reward is God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that our treasure, our reward, our investment is stored away in heaven. And no one can destroy it. No one can touch it. Though all of life is destroyed here on earth, we still win long-term, and that brings us peace. Lord, we don't want to suffer. We, we are nervous about suffering and going through pain and going through persecution and people not liking us. It's not fun. But Lord, I pray that you would change our perspective, that we would see that it was some. it is somehow for your glory. Lord, it is somehow ministering to people around us, that it is challenging those who are our enemy. It is winning those who are our enemy. Lord, as we love and serve and bring peace in the midst of all this war. Lord, as you were hated first, then you won in the end. I believe that we will be hated first and we will win people to you in the end. Help us, Lord, to stand for righteousness and stand for your ways. But Lord, in such a way that it would open the door to people's hearts and minds, that we'd be able to point them to you, preach the gospel, and allow them to be crushed by their sin and brought into relationship with you. Father, we ask for peace on this earth, and we ask that you would use us to bring that peace by your gospel, by repentance. We need the whole earth to turn to you, and I pray that many more would do so. Lord, we know that you'll have your way in the end. We trust you as the judge. We rest in that today. We choose to love and serve one another. Our marriages, our spouses, Lord, and our, with our children, our family members, our friends, we choose to find peace and rest in those relationships as we find peace and rest with you. We love you, King. We commit ourselves to you new and afresh. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Family, I want to encourage you keep living for heaven. Get your eyes off the earth. It's really not that beautiful right now. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Life is truly beautiful when you look through the eyes of God. He's got it all under control. Even in chaotic situations, he knows what he's doing. Legacy, please, would you pray? Would you pray that these facilities open? Would you pray that it makes sense? Would you pray that it just works out perfectly? Would you pray that we'd all be able to be safe and come together and worship? People show up and have an amazing worship experience and go home and say, I just went to church on Sunday. That was awesome. We want to pray nobody gets sick. We want to pray that nobody um, is, is going to be in fear and that we just have a really beautiful time on November 8th. Let's be praying for that, okay? Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May He be gracious unto you and give you peace. So much peace that you family would choose to be peacemakers this week. In your marriages, with your family members, with your friends, your co-workers, with your neighbors, even with enemies in the grocery store. Let's pour some smiles on them. 
Let's pour some peace on them as we stand firm in righteousness. Let's shine some light in the city of LA. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.